So I was calling into like urban planners, architecture firms. When they got a project in a city, they would then set up a site for that project so that the citizens could come and understand what was going on. A lot of those urban planning projects had to have public feedback. That's very different than architectural projects. They don't need that, but some of them wanted to kind of keep people updated on it. So it kind of just depended on the specific project. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos, that create fun cultures where people can do their best work. The employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun about all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi, I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Nick Giuliani. Nick is currently the Director of Sales at Dynamic Logistics. He has spent most of his career in the logistics and supply chain industry, with the last eight years focused on software sales and leadership. Before joining the workforce, Nick graduated from Pittsburgh State University with a degree in marketing. Since joining his current company, Dynamic Logistics, in 2018, the company has gone from 28 employees and $28 million in revenue to over 120 people and almost $300 million in revenue. In November 2021, Nick created the KC Shoutout series, a LinkedIn series dedicated to highlighting and featuring leaders, nonprofits, and women owned business in the Kansas City area. In early February 2023, he created the KC Shoutout series blog at kcshoutoutseries.com to have a singular place for people to learn about the fantastic people, nonprofits, and businesses in Kansas City. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Nick. Nick, welcome to the Corporate Couch today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. But let's start with uh, some questions I, I ask every guest that comes on the show. So I lighten it up in the beginning. Uh, so we've <laughs> been in COVID about three years now. Uh, based on when this is being recorded, what's the craziest attire or lack of attire you've seen in a professional Zoom call? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've seen a lot of the business business on the top and pajama bottoms on the, <laughs> you know, they got, oh, they got their nice shirt on and then they stand up and it's like they're wearing pajama pants or... <laughs> nice. Any, you know. any SpongeBob uh, pajama pants? No, nothing no. that crazy. That's but, my favorite. Yeah, that's a really good question, though. Yeah. Uh, just a personal question about your Zoom attire. Have you ever attended a Zoom call with a baseball hat or some kind of other hat? No, I have not. Okay, so you and I are tied for first place then. Yeah. <laughs> that's one of my claims to fame. I have not worn a hat, but uh, you have good hair, and some people say I have good hair, so there you go. Um 
So this is the corporate couch, not that we're going to get a deep dive into uh, any type of uh, psychology or anything like that. But I always like to ask people, you know, when they were kids growing up, what did they want to be when they became adults? So kind of what was your dream? Yeah, so I had one dream up until I was about 21, and that was to play Major League Baseball. Um, since the time I was two years old out in the, the yard with my dad, the ultimate goal was to, to make it to the Major Leagues. Yeah. Nice. So you, yeah. So your uh, childhood, a lot of baseball growing up. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of baseball. So starting about 10 years old, I joined my traveling team, which this is before all the academy ball. Um, so there weren't official academies like there are now that are, you know, eight year old, nine year old, 10 year old. So we were a, a traveling team um, of all the players in St. Louis. So my 10 year old to my 14 year old, I played on this team. And then again with them when I was 18 um, as well, but we went to usually two to three big tournaments every year, got to go to Japan, uh, when I was 11 to play in an wow. international tournament, which was incredible. Uh, we went to the Cooperstown when I was 12, which is basically the UAAA's version of a little league world series. Uh, we went to Orlando and Omaha and Topeka. And then when I got into high school, we would, every weekend we would go to a different big 12 college or sometimes I like you know university of uh you know Creighton or things like that but yeah baseball I think I went on one trip that was not baseball related and that was Disney World uh, when I was 12 every other trip I took was for baseball wow uh and what position uh, did you play so growing up I started at first base and then to get on my traveling team they said we need you to catch and pitch so I did both of those until I was about 12 and then we got some other guys that were actually better at that um, and then I moved to first base mostly through, I think I was probably a freshman. And then they saw my arm strength. They moved me to right field, uh, which when you're in high school and college ball, the outfield is not the bad position <laughs> like you are when you're younger. Right. Um, so I played outfield almost all the way through college until my senior year, which due to injuries and uh, people leaving the team, I did a split between first base and, and third base my senior year of college, but mostly outfield. Yeah, I mean, the right fielder usually has the strongest arm in the outfield, as, as you yeah. well know. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think uh, in terms of uh, focusing on one sport like you did in baseball? Do you recommend that, having experienced it for young adults growing up and playing sports? Yeah, I don't. Um, thankfully, I did play basketball. I played it at a much more rec and fun league as well. Growing up, I played soccer and other sports, um, and then I started playing football in seventh grade because my mom would not let me play before that. Um, so I don't, I don't recommend the specializing. I think when you get to that point, you have two things happen: you're not training your body in other ways, and I think you can get burnt out really quickly on one sport. So I was lucky enough from 13 on to play basketball, football, and baseball, and I did them both in high school through my sophomore year before I just did. Uh, basketball and baseball but I would not recommend the the specializing um, just because other sports train your body it's good to stay in shape so and it's just fun to go do something that you're not taking as as seriously and just enjoy the sport it's yeah nice yeah and I uh, friends of mine fa uh, family members that have gone and played baseball at a, at a collegiate level, they, they go to a lot of colleges. So I saw you went to Jefferson and then just <laughs> County and then end up in Pittsburgh, but that seems to be the theme. You go yeah. where you can play. Is that yeah. kind of was your journey in college? Yeah. 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 When I got, you know, I think ultimately my ultimate goal was I was trying to go to Mizzou, you know, that's where my brother played. 
and sophomore year was looking really good. And then, you know, unfortunately I put a little bit too much pressure on my junior year, had a down year. A lot of the D1 offers kind of went away and junior college was the best route for me to play right away and get a full scholarship. And so the first college I attended was right side of St. Louis. Um, what I didn't know in attending there that they were bringing in two outfielders additional with the class and the remaining. So there was like seven of us out there. My playing time was not much. And so after my freshman summer, my coach in summer ball was the head or the hitting coach at Johnson County brought me down here. And that's when my first introduction to Kansas city and, and Johnson County played there for a year. And then he was an all American at Pittsburgh state. And so he introduced a few of us to um, the coach down there and we ended up going down and finishing our career. So yeah, three schools in, in four years is, is a very unique, but it was a fantastic experience. So paid for my college. I left there with no debt, which is probably the greatest thing that ever happened <laughs> considering yeah. graduating in 2009 um, into a recession. So uh, yeah, it was very, I would say unconventional. It wasn't the route I thought I was going to take, um, but it was a good experience nonetheless. Yeah, I remember that recession well. I was actually working with Chris, your brother, yeah. <laughs> at that time. So <laughs> so you picked marketing as a major. What was your thought process behind that? Baseball wasn't a choice, so I had to pick something. Um, I like to joke that I majored in baseball and, and minored in marketing. Um, truthfully, I had never really given my career any thought. Like I said, I up until the point where I, when I got into Pittsburgh State, I started to realize, okay, major leagues is probably out. And I hadn't really given a career much thought. I just wanted to go play baseball. And so my junior summer, I did an internship doing door to door St. Louis Cardinals ticket sales. So my company represented the Cardinals to fill the stadium in those Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday games that were not weekend games. So I went door to door in a suit selling and I was pretty good at it. And so, you know, I was like, well, I don't really know. They didn't have sales as a major at Pittsburgh State. So marketing was kind of the closest thing business. And back then, a degree is all you really needed. You just needed the degree to kind of get the, your you know foot in the door at that first job. And, you know, I wanted to kind of do a bunch of different things, but sales just kind of aligned good with my personality and my competitiveness. And, you know, that's kind of where it started. But I did not give much thought to <laughs> my major or really my career, um, probably until I was a little, little younger than I am now. So we'll get into that, I'm sure. But... <laughs> Yeah, sounds good. So you land at Freight Quote right after college, after mm -hmm. Pittsburgh State. Uh, how'd you land that job? Uh, Chris, my brother, he uh, was good friends with like the, he was the fifth employee, I think, at Freight Quote. And he had left since then, but he was good friends with the VP of sales. And so they said, hey, if you want to come up and interview, you know, for our freight broker position, I was like, sure, drove up to Kansas City, did the interview. But I was about 30 minutes outside of St. Louis. I get a call. They're like, hey, you got the job if you want it. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> Drove in St. Louis, you know, parked my car in my parents' driveway. I walk in, I tell them, hey, I'm moving to Kansas City. You know, I got to find an apartment. Uh, so thankfully, Chris was nice enough to let me stay with him for a few months while I kind of got settled and into work and life. And uh, yeah, I started with Freightquote. I spent just over just over two years with them uh, as a freight broker, account manager uh, type of role. Yeah, now part of uh, C.H. Robinson uh, bought out Freightquote. Yes. And uh, the founder, was it uh, Tim Barton was the founder? Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was he a was very, a very, very, very visionary owner. He was fantastic. So. Yeah. And he was he was still there when you uh, when you started. I can't remember when he left. 
Yes, he was still there. I think they ended up selling to CH about five years ago, six years ago. So it's, I didn't even work in the new buildings that they put off before 35. I was still in the old buildings off Renner um, and 87. So. And, and tell me that wasn't the only interview you had uh, to get a job or was it? No, that was actually not my technical first job. I don't tell a lot of people this, but um, so I got out of college, obviously, in 2009, having no idea what I was going to do. And so I started looking all over the place. I was like, well, maybe I can move to Los Angeles and and work, you know, as an agent, or maybe I can do this and, you know, whatever. And then I didn't realize that Harvard MBAs and these people, everyone starts in the mailroom. It wasn't like that was where <laughs> I was going to start. And so that kind of fell apart. But I took a job selling signs, like the LED signs that go in the window of businesses. So I take this job, it's full commission, no benefits, no salary. I think I lasted three weeks, maybe four weeks. Made one sale down the Lake of the Ozarks on a trip. We went down there and I just hated it. And at that point, I just called Chris and I was like, man, I was like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea where to go. And he's like, let me start making some calls. And that was when I got introduced to Freight Quote. And yeah, I just took it. I didn't even think about it. I'm like, it had salary, it had benefits and it had a commission plan. I had a chance to, you know, live in the same city as Chris. And I didn't, I didn't interview anywhere else. I'm like, I'm just taking this and <laughs> seeing where it goes. Yeah, no, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, you you uh, then it's like Ryan Transportation, so that's in the same ballpark. Then you go to uh, my sidewalk, I believe, right after that. I did. Yes. Yeah, and then what what was the so you're out of kind of the, the supply chain logistics world. What what was your uh, why did you uh, go into that venture? Yeah, it was basically to get out of freight. Um, so I had spent you know almost five years at that point in the account manager role. And what that means in freight is you are spending, you are running your book of business. So you're in charge of making sure that those trucks are getting from your client to their end client. And that can mean late nights. It can mean weekends. It's very stressful. It's very, very high stress. And I had started as I was leaving Ryan to starting doing more business development and the actual selling of trying to bring the clients on. And I realized I don't want to be on the client success account manager side. I want to be in the hunting sales role. And I was like, I got to get out of freight. Like, I need to get away from this industry. It's it's not where I want to be. And I knew software sales was where the world was going, that SaaS model, and that's where the money was. And so thankfully, we have a fantastic uh, recruiter here in town that helped get me set up with that. They took a chance on me. I didn't really have any true sales experience, uh, but they brought me in. Obviously, the it didn't end how any of us wanted that we got there. I wasn't there very long, but in that 10 months, it was my first introduction into true sales training and understanding how to build territory maps and how to attack, you know, clients and how to bring them on and how to get a true signed contract back. So while it was short lived, I thought I learned a lot and I had some success while I was there. It was just a very difficult sale and what we were doing. And I'm very thankful to see that they're still, still going and still doing well. Um, but it was good experience. It just, you know, startups don't always work for, for everyone in the mix, and especially in those early days. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember uh, hearing about them back in the day. So it was a kind of a, they were kind of one of the talk of the town in terms of mm -hmm. startup companies. Um, and, they're, and, and what were they actually doing? Um, basically socializing data so it's accessible to everyone type thing? I think that is the new model. So when I was there, we were kind of split into three divisions. And what we were selling was an engagement platform for citizens to be able to participate in government action. So 
for instance, the city of Kansas City was our client. So when the Kemper Arena, they were trying to decide what to do with that, they would put poll questions up on the Mind Mixer site and citizens could go and basically um, vote on what they thought. So it was taking the town hall meeting and bringing it online so that people that didn't want to go to the town hall or didn't want to go to the actual physical locations to still be involved in government action. So that was one division. We worked directly with cities. The other was we were working directly with school districts and higher education. So they would use it to engage their alumni and student body. And then I was on the private side. So I was calling into like urban planners, architecture firms, and they would use it when they got a project in a city, they would then set up a site for that project so that the citizens could come and understand what was going on for those specific projects. And a lot of those urban planning projects had to have public feedback. That's very different than architectural projects. They don't need that, but some of them wanted to kind of keep people updated on it. So it kind of just depended on the specific project. Um, so I sold more into the, the private space, not school districts or, or cities. And then um, you leave because it was a buyout or they just laid off people because of the lack of uh, funds or? No, they were still going. Um, when I left, I left because... I actually, it's the only time I've ever done this, but I quit um, without a job. I was just, at that point, it was so burned out. I was working 12, 13 hour days. And I was, the way our pay structure was, I just wasn't seeing the commissions coming in how I thought they were. And it was just, I was so burnt out at that point. I was like, I talked to my wife and I was like, I just don't know what to do. And she's like, well, if you, if you need to just get out of there and make finding, you know, a new job, your full-time job. Um, I was so lucky to come across my next company, Verership, which is now sifted on LinkedIn. You know, they, they were posting for an account executive job. And again, I, I went in for my interview process and, you know, that really set, I think, the trajectory of my career from that point. And it was one of the best places I could have landed at that point. And it was only, I want to say it was like three weeks between when I quit and when I got that job. So I was so thankful and so grateful uh, for them to take that chance on me. Because again, even at that point, I was just around a year uh, of true sales experience. Um, so very thankful that I was able to find that next place, which kind of married the logistics experience I had with, you know, now this, this newfound software selling experience and true, you know, SaaS model. Yeah. So you're at dynamic logistics. So what made you leave Veriship at that point? I had gone through my, I think it was about, you know, two and a half years and I really wanted to get into leadership just in my brain. Even when I was at Freightboat, even when I was at Ryan, I just, I was so impatient and I was so, I think, naive to the fact that I was not ready for leadership. Even though my stupid 25 year old brain's like, you're ready. You're the smartest person in this room. I wasn't, trust me. Um, and so when I got to Bearership, I performed very well. I got promoted after about 18 months. I became a senior account executive. I was either one or two every quarter as far as performing. I was like, you know, I think I'm ready. And so I sat down with my CEO and we kind of put together a plan you know, to take over our business development team, which was unique because I was actually on the account executive side doing the selling, not as much business development. Um, so I ran that team for about six months and it just, it went fine, but it wasn't what I was expecting. And so my CEO and I sat down and said, hey, I actually think my colleague would actually be better running this team. So I went back into sales. And that was about January. And at that same time, I had reconnected with an old colleague of mine from Ryan, who's now my CEO, Jeff Oslander, to get some help from him. Like, hey, man, I'm in leadership now and I got no idea what I'm doing. I need some help. 
And so when we were having drinks, he was like, oh, I thought you wanted a job because we're actually looking at a salesperson. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just here to, to, to chat with you and try to pick your brain on leadership. But after I went back into sales, I started kind of reprioritizing and say, well, it's like, well, if I'm going to do sales, you know, I want a more enterprise style, you know, bigger ceiling type income job. And so then I reached back out to Jeff and said, hey, you mentioned you were hiring. Is that still the case? And after I think we it was probably about a six week vetting out, like I met with them multiple times. I went in the office, understood their product and their process and met everybody um, and then made that jump right around the three-year market bearership uh, to come over and do business development and sales for what I'm now at, which is dynamic logistics. And yeah, now now the rest is history. Now five years and two months, I guess, or five years and one month later, still there. Yeah, so um, you kind of experienced a little bit of a startup with my sidewalk, and now mm -hmm. now you're in your second startup per se. Yeah. I mean, that what was that like? I think when you started, it had maybe 28 employees and. Yeah. Take us through, you know, year one to now year five. Yeah, I think the it didn't feel as much like a startup because because I was so comfortable in the freight world and what I had done previously. I was like, oh, this is just kind of how normal freight brokers runs. I was like, yeah, it's a little crazy and hectic and chaotic and, you know, things go a million miles an hour. But that just felt like freight to me. But I think what gave me the most confidence when I when I came in was that we had had some really good clients that were already on our our TMS platform. And I saw the pipeline and some of the people that we were talking to. I mean, Jack Links was in our pipeline. I'm like, oh my God, like we're, we're a legit company. And then within the first three or four months, I'd had a lot of really good deals going in my pipeline and the meetings were going well. And, you know, Jeff, if you've never met my CEO is a fantastic um, sales leader as well as, you know, just the CEO in general. And he just gave such confidence when we were talking to these companies about how we're different and how our solutions different. And so when I started, yeah, we were only 28 employees and we had about 23 million in revenue. And we slowly just, we took this different approach. We had a really good solution and we had built all of these ancillary services around it to service our clients in more ways than just the technology. And that solution is so different than what's out in the market. We just continually kept winning deals and winning deals and winning deals. And we just kept growing and growing and growing. And every time we would get a new client, we would have a few new operations people and more finance people. And oh, well, now we need more people on this team. And the company just continued to expand and grow. And there's one thing about, I would say the big things about our leadership that I've seen is different is the transparency in which our leadership team provides is beyond what I've ever seen. And we're also a company that has a lot of core values. And it's not just, they're not just on the wall. Like we truly live those each and every day. And I do think that that's been a huge part in our success because we're now sitting at, you know, we're in this brand new, beautiful building on the select quote campus. We're 130 employees and growing, you know, we're going to exceed, you know, 350, probably almost close to 400 million uh, by the end of the year. And it's, it's a testament to the people in this building. Um, and the fact that we will never, ever, ever stay status quo. We are always looking to grow. We're always looking to add new clients and you know, the support in which our leadership team shows to each and every department um, is something that is is really special for what they're doing. Yeah, I think yeah, transparency is just so important at a leadership uh, for leadership to uh, as an important trait. So I yeah, yeah that, it's phenomenal. And core values. Yeah, they shouldn't be just words on a wall. You should live them. Yeah. Right. So exactly. Um, what's the biggest change you've seen at Dynamic Logistics 
based on your early days and now and versus today and mm. you know is it a longing for the good old days or is it still fun <laughs> trying to you know grow the business even though you're about 350 plus million yeah. in revenue uh it's still very fun it's very still a very work hard uh play hard the one difference is, is when we were 28 employees, we all sat in these, you know, little pods in our old building and everyone saw each other all the time. And now we're in, you know, this huge, I don't even know, over 20 something thousand square foot building. And so it's very different. The growth on each team. I mean, sometimes you can see somebody like, oh, I don't remember who that person is. They just must have got hired. So we do, we are growing at such a rapid rate. Uh, but thankfully about, I think it was about two years ago, they put in the uh, EOS system here. Um, and that is something that I think has helped keep that collaboration. Cause when you're little, you know, it's easy to hop in the conference room and say, Hey, we, you know, we got this client coming on board. Are we ready to onboard? Do we have the new hires ready to manage the account? Do we have the financial people on the back end? Like, are we ready for this? Uh, when you get to 120, you know, you gotta be a lot more tight in those, in that transition from new sale to them going live on the platform. And so you know, using that EOS system, which we actually call it DOS because we changed the E to D for dynamic. Uh, I think that's really helped, you know, allows directors and above to come into a room, you know, twice a month and say, these are the big rocks I'm working on. This is what you're working on. You know, how can we work together? Uh, but that's definitely the biggest difference is it's a lot, when you got 28 people, it's a little bit different than when you're now getting to that 100 and, you know, 30, 140 range um, to keep those same kind of collaboration discussions going. Yeah, no, I uh, yeah, I've read Traction and uh, Rocket Fuel in terms of EOS uh, entrepreneurial operating system. Did you mm -hmm. guys implement it yourself, or did you bring in an EOS uh, integrator implementer? Uh, so we have a he was at the time a consultant for us, uh, but now actually works here. Um, he actually is the one who kind of facilitates it. Um, but we, you know, everyone read the book, and he kind of does the facilitation along with our uh, leadership team. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense, especially for companies uh, your size and even smaller. Yeah. So yeah, it makes a lot yeah. of sense. Well, yeah, we're not we're not about status quo, so we're not just going to stop growing and hope that you know oh, we can hang on. It's like we're always pushing, which means continual hiring, continually onboarding, and so we have to make sure. You know, I don't know what book it is, but it talks about that hundred, hundred and twenty range is when your culture starts to change, and so we actually brought in a culture manager to manage that part of it and make sure that there still are activities and cross department things that are happening and we don't get siloed as you can when you get bigger. Um, so they are trying to be proactive and, and taking care of that as we grow to 150, 200 and beyond. So. Yeah. How did leadership handle COVID and the pandemic and working from home? What was it kind of what walk us through that? Yeah. So we were deemed an essential business. So we follow the Kansas law of how many people we can have in our building. And we followed all the rules about, you know, how far everyone has to be away. So every point where they said, oh, you can go from 10 to 20, we just brought people um, back in. And so when that happened, our CEO basically did an entire company meeting and said, these are the rules that we are going to follow. If you're going to work from home, you got to be accessible on teams at all times. You have to be able during working hours, you know, you have to be able to have the same responsive as if you're sitting next to each other. And it's because our business is so collaborative and when you're working on a client, it's like, it's easy to turn to your guy and say, hey, where's that truck at? Or, hey, what's going on with this project? So we want to make sure we had that same kind of communication through teams and the people that were in the office. And then I think it was about, I want to say September of that year, same thing. We kind of did an all hands company meeting and said, hey, this is what's happened the first six months. 
yes, we've had a down dip, but we've also had new clients that are coming on board. And he was just basically our CEO's message to us was we're not going to let this beat us. We are stronger than this. We're better than, you know, what's happening out in the world. We're not going to let that affect what we're doing in here. And we're not going to let that be an excuse. We're going to find ways to continue to grow. And by 21, you know, we ended up doing, I think, $100 million that year because of just that focus on we're not going to let the outside world kind of affect what we're doing in here. Um, but thankfully, we were deemed an essential business. And thankfully, um, when we brought our initial clients, we kind of talked about recession-proof clients. A lot of our clients were food, which were also deemed essential. So they were also continuing to run. So that really did help. Um, kind of keep us afloat but yeah there was a lot of talk from the top about like this is not going to deter us and the goals that we have as a company we just have to find different ways to to be as productive so but for me personally I went home from March and I didn't end up coming back in until like July of 21 and that was weird sitting in my house on an island with the job that we do um, in sales is not easy so <laughs> having those team conversations was huge to not feel like you're just alone on that Island, trying to trying to do everything yourself. So well, I was very March, thankful. March of 2020 through July yep. 21. Wow. Yeah, I came back in in July. So I, I came into the office every now and again for that, but we wanted to keep the spaces for our office specific to the operations team. Um, it was, it's a little easier for us to do our jobs at home than it was for them. So we didn't come in until last and then by the time 20 middle 21 came, we'd actually run out of space because we didn't occupy the bottom of our old building. And so we finally took that over. We all came back in um, and then the whole company was back um, in. And I would say you're still a chance to work remote for us. We have people in Colorado. We have people in, in Iowa, Nebraska, all over. But mo I would say on most days, we probably have about 80 percent are in office working. So people have a choice to come in. Or yeah. Not. Yeah. Yep. Okay. They just have to set up the schedule uh, with their direct manager and reports and all that. So you talked a little bit when you're at Veriship, you wanted to meet with the ex-colleague who is now CEO of mm -hmm. the company you work for today uh, to get kind of leadership advice. So wh where have you leaned in terms of becoming a better leader, you know, mentors, whether that's people you've never met via books and other things? Mm -hmm. or wh what's been your process to become a better leader? Yeah, a lot of books um, and podcasts and then just the mentors I have in my life. I think, yeah, when I got that initial promotion at Verishop, I reached out to anyone I had managed me or I knew. And I was like, here's where I see my weaknesses. <laughs> this is my strengths. So I was like, how do I you know, figure this side out? Um, but yeah, I, I'm a big reader. I'm a big podcast listener. So that's been my outside world. And I do try to to have mentors, obviously, around the Kansas City area as well. One thing now that I am now in my new role, running the team, being the director, I actually had a coffee with a, a friend on Tuesday, and I told her, I was like, I need a, I need a mentor that has, doesn't know me. I was like, I need a mentor that doesn't know anything about myself or anything. I was like, I need someone who can be objective, that can be blunt, and can help me continue to grow. Between that, I'm also doing the Leaders Institute with Catalyst Development. That's been really helpful. Um, the first two sessions have been amazing. So I've really enjoyed going through those types of programs as well. Even though I did not like school, I hated school. When it comes to professional development, it's it's really enjoyable. And thankfully, Dynamic Logistics has supported us in really anything we need. So we have internal professional development um, things as well for leadership and different classes. You can take virtual classes with different um, online schools, basically. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
Very nice. And so uh, when you first started reading about leadership, who, who were some of the books you would recommend to some of the people out there just starting their leadership journey? Uh, Start With Why. It was probably the most impactful book I read. And I know he has a third version of that, which is more um, about personal why, not necessarily company why. Uh, his second book, Leaders Eat Last, was probably even more, I think, impactful for myself. Yeah. Um, just as I thought about that, um, the Jocko book, uh, Extreme Ownership, yeah. um, was big. Uh, probably my favorite book. It's actually what my computer is sitting on right now. Um, Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss. I think getting a chance, yeah, it's a shout out to Michael Keenan. He actually sent me that book and I think it literally changed my life. Um, but reading some of the obviously most successful entrepreneurs, investors, you know, understanding how they approach their day and how they approach their life and how they became more empathetic and different things. That was so, so impactful um, for me. And then there was also a book that I read right when I got promoted at Verish or Veriship was called, um, Sales Management Simplified. It's from Mike Weinberg. Was just, he wrote Sales Simplified, which is a fantastic book as well for people that are getting into to sales. But the Sales Management Simplified was kind of my guidebook when I got promoted um, at Bearership on how I wanted to run the team from one-on-ones to coaching to mentoring to all those different things. But yeah, I think having having someone who's done it before as a mentor is obviously going to be your best chance. But there are obviously many books and podcast out there to kind of help like this one you know there we go love it yeah i just think you mentioned it right in the beginning when you said you know here are my strengths here are my i mean self-awareness as a leader is just one of the most important things because then you you know where your weak spots are your blind mm -hmm. spots and it's just so important yeah I mean, uh, when i think for any top performer no matter what the role is one of your biggest fears is always well i did it this way Right. And what if I can't teach them how to do it that way? What if, you know, I'm really great at the job, but I don't know how to translate that right. into teaching and, and elevating others experience. I think that is anyone's always biggest worry is that you're not going to be good at that part. So just because I was good at the job doesn't mean I'm going to be a great leader or manager. Right. Um, and so I think that was one of my biggest fears was like, what if I can't teach this, you know? Yeah. Um, and there's well, a great I... famous example of Tony Gwynn. He could not teach how to hit, even though he's one of the best hitters. I had guys that played for him at San Diego State on my summer ball team. Right. Um, and they would say, like, he 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 struggled to comprehend, like, how he did it so well to kind of teach it. And it's, it is a unique skill set to, to be able to do that. Well, m most superstars are, are not the best coaches because there's a, you know, one, there's a talent. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they're usually the most talented. And... A lot of times they have the hardest work ethic. So you combine those and that's why right. they're Hall of Famers and, and superstars. Right. It's, yeah. you know. I'm no superstar, but thanks for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you are, Nick. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're doing so many great things. Let's get into that. Um, but before, actually, before we actually touch on that, talk mm -hmm. about Top Gun. I, I've had Scott Havens on, uh, he's one of the, uh, one of the first five or six uh, guests on the podcast and we all love scott he does great things for the community ultimate uh, connector of uh, great people uh but i i believe he started top gun and uh, i know you're a member so why don't you explain to the people listening what what top gun is in kansas city and what's it trying to achieve absolutely yeah love scott um coming up on almost five years of knowing him which is pretty crazy to think about 
Um, so Top Gun is a networking group that is designed for uh, the millennial age group. So there's a plus or minus seven years from 1986. The group is called Top Gun because that was the year Top Gun was released. Um, the group initially started as Scott and some friends that all went to KU and you know we're around from Kansas City. It was like, hey, you know, we don't see each other as much. We're, we're busy professionals. Like, what if we got together, just went to happy hour, you know, got a drink and it continued to evolve of like, well, let's, you know, what if we did charitable work as well? What if we threw a golf tournament that raised money for this? And so the group kept growing and growing and growing. And the ultimate goal for it is, is that we can all go through business life together and help each other improve as well as making an impact um, on the community. So that is the, the ultimate goal. We're right around 120 members now. Um, so it's one of the largest millennial appeal groups. I think it is the largest in all of Kansas City. So it has been a tremendous resource for me personally. Um, I actually met Scott because I was nosy. Uh, he was meeting one of uh, one of my coworkers, Glenn Fisher. I'm sure you might, you probably know Glenn. Uh, he was meeting with Scott Havens and Scott Lippert out on our balcony, and I'm just nosy. And I stick my head out, and I'm like, "Hey, who are you guys?" You know. And I sit down, and we start talking. And like four months later, he's like, "Hey, come in for an interview for Top Gun." And I was like, "Okay." Walk into the building of trusts, walk up the stairs, and there's 14 people sitting in this conference room, and oh, I geez. was terrified. I'm like, "Oh my god!" It was probably the most nervous I've ever been in an interview. Uh, post my you know initial ones out of college but yeah it was it gave me a lot of confidence because i'm like yeah these people are really committed to their growth as you know being professionals but they also are really community focused and so that was really great to see people who had dedicated themselves to trying to give back and i think it really did help me as i started to to take that approach and be a lot more intentional uh, with my networking and community work and you know just trying to be a leader in the community as well so i'm very grateful for the group and yeah, the goal is to keep going as, as long as we can. So, and you have to be voted in, right? So it's you just yes. can't join. You know, correct. Yes, born in nineteen eighty six through whatever. Yeah. Um, yes, it is a. It's an. So the way that we used to do is a little bit different. Um, it was an interview process. Now there are gatekeepers, I guess they're called, and they help kind of bring in the new people. And we're we're trying to be a little bit more intentional. We don't want to grow at a rapid rate where you lose the relationships. So we're trying to grow at a slower rate and be a little bit more intentional um, with who we let in and just continuing to make sure that it's going to enhance the group and not get to a point where there's too many people. And it's like, you're losing those, those personal right. relationships and in growth opportunities. So did you become friends with any of the 14 interviewers outside of Scott? <laughs> now I have to think who was in that room. Uh, yeah, a few of them. And they're still, I think most of them are still in the group, which is also amazing that after, you know, five years, they're, they're still going strong. So, uh, again, I love what you're doing uh, for the community. You know, you started something uh, called the KC Shoutout Series. Uh, talk us about why you started it, what you're doing with it, and how it's evolved since the start. Yeah, so in 21... Of course, like many people, I sat on a webinar with Erin Folk and she talked about using LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, yeah, I want to use LinkedIn. That could be fun. But I think the people that I was following at the time was a lot of sales, a lot of VPs of sales out in Silicon Valley and Austin and the East Coast. And I was like, eh, there's a lot of those people out there. And even though I'm an expert in it based on you know how long I had been in, I'm like, I don't want to go that route. Logistics and supply chain not that interesting. Um, unless there's a ship that gets stuck in the Suez Canal, then it's on the news for 
a couple of weeks, but in other than COVID, I don't think I'd ever seen supply chain and logistics in the news so much. And so those were kind of my two areas of expertise. And I was like, all right, well, those aren't really areas I want to write content about. And they didn't get me excited or passionate. And like I mentioned earlier, my friend, Michael Keenan, who's in, in Top Gun, nicely enough, we were sitting around the dinner table one night and I was like, oh, I never heard of Tools of Titans. Mails me a copy at work. I read this whole book in like a week. And I was like, wow, he turned a, his podcast interviews into a book and then used life lessons from those podcasts to kind of share out with the world. I was like, I think I could do that. What if I wrote about other people and brought awareness to their businesses? And so in November, the week of Thanksgiving, November 21, I wrote my first shout out post. Uh, it was Mitch Case. It was about him and his company, More Than a Meal. And back then, I think it was it was probably 100 words, maybe 120 words short, just to the point, hey, Mitch is doing cool things. You know, any HR director should reach out and learn about kind of what he's building. So about... Three months in, we're getting close to Women's History Month. And I was like, all right, well, I've been writing posts. And originally, it was beginning to be about founders. That was the goal. You had to be a founder or a CEO of small companies or up-and-coming companies was kind of my thought process. Eventually, that has now evolved into all leaders. It doesn't matter if you own a company or not. It's just if you're a leader in the community doing great work. Um, but when I, we got closer to March, I'm like, well, it's Women's History Month. I'm like, what if I started shouting out women-owned businesses? Originally, I'm like, yeah, I'll do it for the whole month. Once I realized there were a lot of great women-owned businesses and four weeks was not enough to tell that story, they, that continued and it's continued to this day. I just wrote the uh, 50th edition of that yesterday. And then as I continued my networking, um, I realized as I met with executive directors of nonprofits that outside of donations, the one thing they continually mentioned was awareness. And so I started the Celebrating KC, which is my Wednesday post on LinkedIn, um, to bring awareness to different nonprofits around town. So that was now from November 21 to about November 2022, all of those were, were live. I slowly started realizing I don't technically own the copy and the content on LinkedIn because I'm using a third-party social media site to promote it. And I was like, well... One, it's not easy to search LinkedIn. If somebody wants to go see all the women-owned posts I've written, it's not easy. If they want to find a specific person, it's kind of a pain. I was like, I'm going to build a website. And so it launched about two months ago. It's called KCShoutoutSeries.com. It houses every post I've ever written on LinkedIn from November 21 all the way up to date. Probably the biggest change that will go forward and I announced that today on LinkedIn is that I'm going to start doing um, copy that is not going to be on LinkedIn. More long form, because most of my posts are about 400 words, 450 words. And I want to start doing more long form stories. Um, and that will go directly on the blog. And then I'll promote that out on my social media. But it will not live on LinkedIn or Facebook, Instagram, anything. It'll just be, just be copy on the website itself. So that'll probably be the biggest evolution in 2023 as I keep going forward with the uh, with the series. You said earlier that you didn't like school, but did no. you like writing? Because obviously now you're a writer. <laughs> I did not. Uh, I think it was my worst subject. Um, it took me a long time to, to admit what you just said, that I'm a writer. I was like, yeah, I just write content. It, it did. It took me a long time to be like, you know what? I am a writer. Um, but no, it wasn't. I always liked it, but I was not very good at it. 
thank God for my fantastic wife who helped with a lot of the editing on the early post. And now Grammarly is my, my saving grace. Thankfully it, it exists and helped me with all the mistakes that I unfortunately still make. Grammarly <laughs> is phenomenal. I don't know. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I, yeah. I'm still on the free version, but it seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, the, incredible. Um, so, you know, most people would not do what you have done, right? You're in a startup company, dynamic logistics. You're you're crushing it, really. I mean, you're enjoying it. You're you're part of a, building a great culture, going from 28 employees, uh, you know, 150, 23 million in revenue to you know 350 million. That's fun. I, I love the startup world. Yeah. And so, what? part of you, you know, that you just said, look, I'm going to go out there and I love, I'll call your one of your taglines on your LinkedIn profile, but it's, you know, be humble, be grateful, be present and mm -hmm. you know, be, you know, just trying to be a positive force in the world, right? That's some of your things you say, but what mm -hmm. is that part of your, your inherent personality? What, what makes you such, you know, a giver basically? Yeah, I think a couple of things. So when I originally got started at Dynamic, I was so heads down trying to help the company grow. I wasn't doing a lot of networking. I wasn't doing a lot of community work. It was just focused on, I'm going to be the best possible salesperson I can be because I know if I can help us get here to here, you know, the company is going to change. We're going to continue to grow and the opportunities are going to be crazy. And when I lifted my head up after about three years and I was like, wow, I really kind of lost that kind of go-giver mentality that I've always had. And I'm so thankful to have an incredible mentor, and he's probably one of my better friends, uh, Brett Parsons, is one of the better networkers in all of Kansas City. And he had really helped me understand that go-giver, give mentality when it came to networking. And I kind of got away from that. And so I really wanted to get back to, you know, I've been so fortunate in all the growth of Dynamic and things were going really well for me. It's like, I want to give back. I want to give back to the community. I want to give back to the people that have helped me. And I want to be a resource for people that are also trying to grow in their career. And so the LinkedIn originally stuff that's obviously created so many different opportunities that I didn't expect to happen. My network has exploded and spiderwebbed out. And so inherently I've always wanted to always, right. You're always trying to work to be the best person you can be and be that generous person and be that leader in the community. And that's just always been my focus. The only difference between my twenties and my thirties is I was trying to be intentional about it. And I think that is the biggest change that I've had in my career. And personally is that, just understanding what's most important in my life. And then how do I actually get to those, get to those goals, not just setting things or saying things, but actually trying to figure out, okay, if I want to get here, what's the actual plan from point A to point B to get there. And that's been probably the biggest difference in the last five to six years of my life versus when I was in my twenties. And I just was very self-entitled, very, very impatient. And I didn't understand what it truly took to be the person I wanted to be because I didn't ever set a plan. I just did things and thought, oh, it's going to happen, right? And it's like, that's not how the world works. So, yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, part of it is, you know, your brain doesn't fully develop on average till you're 25. Yeah. I would say for males, it probably takes a little longer. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, uh, so I think your 20s are, you're just about finding yourself, right? Professionally, yeah. right? You've, you've been in school your whole life, most people, mm -hmm. or, you know, at least, you know, 13 years of it. And then, you know, post, post high school, um, some people go, but I mean, I think, you know, one of the things you said, which I think is uh, interesting, and again, it's on your LinkedIn, but be present. So talk mm -hmm. a little bit about that 
part of kind of your mod, mantra or, or living philosophy? Yeah, I think the a lot of that came from from reading Tools of Titans. But it, initially, that whole model started. We got to hear um, a speech at Top Gun. I can't think of his name now. He played for the the Chiefs in K State. He was a safety. Oh yeah, John McGraw. John McGraw. He had talked about the mentality of setting a goal, and that's point B, and then you're at point A, and getting to that moment. Well, then you get to point B, and that turns into point A, and now you're trying to get to point B again. But nobody enjoyed what was happening in between. <laughs> point A to point B, there was no, there was a barely even a celebration when he got to point B. And so between him giving that speech and being like, oh my God, that's me to a T. Um, and then in Tools of Titans, talking a lot about the spirit, spirituality, starting to meditate, starting to journal, starting to take some of these daily rituals. Um, I tend, before I took that approach to really not live in the moment, I was more trying to figure out like, I want to get to this point instead of actually enjoying the journey going forward. So that is something that I, I have on my whiteboard in my office. Um, I write it in my journal. At the end of every journal entry, it's be grateful, be present, and be humble. And I try to ensure that I do those things because if I don't, I'm going to miss out on life because I'm always going to be trying to think about the next thing I'm trying to accomplish instead of enjoying you know the process to get there. Now, do you uh, just use uh, just a notebook to journal or something you can buy off the shelf, like the five-minute journal recommended by Tim Ferriss? Yeah. <laughs> something I, I've been using for, I don't know, four years, five years, I think. Yeah, I actually don't use the five-minute journal. I just have a notebook that's just blank. Um, no set agenda. Sometimes I just write. Um, sometimes I just write about the shout out series and how it did that week. Or sometimes I'm like, oh, I have a new idea and I just write as much as I can freehand. Um, then I don't have the best handwriting. So going back and reading it, I'm like, what was I trying to say here? Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't set a whole lot of agenda. I was in the beginning following his, you know, write one thing you enjoyed today, write one thing you're grateful for, but I felt like the answers were just too canned. And so I've just tried to use the journaling to be a little more just free-minded and get my, whatever thoughts going on in my head in that day, I just kind of get it on paper. So uh, just to wrap up, I like to ask uh, two questions to help two different sets of people. One, I'm very empathetic to people coming out of college because they have no idea what they want to do usually. And how did universities like uh, Pittsburgh State or KU, MU, whatever, well, mm -hmm. they teach how to get a degree, but uh, I think it's very various uh, levels of how to get a job, right, resume writing, building connections and networking, helping others. What advice would you have to somebody graduating college in May about their, you know, embarking on their career journey? Yeah, I would definitely say find a mentor. For sure. Um, somebody that is in your field at that point, especially if you know, like, this is the field I want to be in for my career. Find somebody who has accomplished the things that you're looking to accomplish. Obviously, you want to make sure your values align and what they're what they did in their career aligns with what you want. I would definitely say that. Um, I would say network with as many people as you possibly can, but take that go giver mentality. You know, especially if you're in sales, you should not be trying to meet with somebody you don't know on the first coffee and trying to sell them within ten minutes. Like, get to know people understand their story. Um, I would say those are probably the two biggest things. And I think also finding some kind of group um, that could be kickball. It could be softball. It could be, you know, a professional group, find some group of something you enjoy and try to find other people um, to kind of create that tribe. Um, because once you get out of, out of college, 
you know, it's a lot more stressful. You're now living on your own. You got bills to pay. It's, it's, it can be very stressful. So having other people that are kind of going through that as well at your peer level is great. And then having somebody who's kind of in that walk of life you're trying to get to to also help say like, Hey, maybe I can help you not make the mistakes I did over the last 10 years. And here's <laughs> some things to think about. I think is really, really impactful because something I did not have, I didn't, I don't think I had a mentor until I was probably almost 30. So it's, it's definitely something I wish I could have gone back and told myself. Um, I would also say be patient too, to those 22 year olds. Like it's, it's not going to happen overnight. So just, just enjoy the journey. Yeah. Great advice. And the other group, and you, you kind of alluded to this in some, in terms of your leadership journey, but somebody now there was an individual contributor, whether that's a, you know, sales rep or just, you know, uh, accounts payable person. Now they're the manager of accounts payable, or now they're mm -hmm. the manager of a sales team. What leadership advice would you have for them as they go on their, uh, leadership, uh, journey? Yeah, I would say, understanding each person on the team needs to be managed differently is probably the biggest life lesson I can pass on. So if you have a team of six, I would say there are a lot of uh, assessments and tests you can take. So one I thought was really cool, we did it in the Leaders Institute, was called the Working Genius. It's to help understand what tasks your team members enjoy doing and what they struggle with. Understanding them as a person, understanding what makes them tick, because each of those people on your team needs to be managed just a little bit differently. There isn't an out of the box leadership that's going to work across that board. And so I think understanding your people, um, especially what motivates them, what drives them, why they show up every day, taking the time to get to know that in your one on ones and not just talk about numbers. Oh, you made this many calls and you had this result. It's like take that early time to get to know them and what's important to them. Think is really really impactful and i think that more and more you're starting to see more and more articles and more and more posts about this it's like that empathetic servant leader is taking over there's no more of this fear leading and, and it's like that's not going to work especially for the generation that's coming below and gen z like they expect different things in the workplace and they should and so i think that would probably be my biggest piece is to try to get to know each and every person to understand how they tick and, and what drives them. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I love watching you do what you do. You're just a, a, a gift to the Kansas city community. Um, I didn't get to, I think you grew up in St. Louis. So I never got to the question. Mm -hmm. What do you, your friends in St. Louis think about all your love for Kansas city, but we could do that part <laughs> two, uh, our next time we chat together, but uh, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. I just love Nick's, uh, some of his life philosophy. Uh, he posts on his uh, LinkedIn profile, you know, be humble, be grateful and be present. Also, you know, he's being a positive force in the world. Mm -hmm. He's just a great human being and what he's trying to do outside of his core professional life. This Casey shout out series where he highlights, you know, just great leaders and entrepreneurs in Kansas City is phenomenal his volunteer work for Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and Band of Angels. He's, he's just a giver, and I, I just love that about him. Joe, what do you think? He's done a lot of living for the little life that he's had so far, I tell you. You know, Nick went through all of school playing baseball and doing nothing but playing baseball, changing schools just to play baseball. And he ended up with a degree that he didn't even, you know, 
think that he was ever going to use or need or anything because all he ever thought of was that he was going to play baseball. And I see a lot of people that are, that are like that, and, you know, that's okay. There are a lot of people that I know, actually more people that I know than, than not, are not doing what their degree was in college. I was a music major. I, I thought that I was going to be the world's greatest music teacher, and that didn't work out at all. Nobody in my family, they all have college degrees, and none of them are doing what their degree was. So when did you give up your when did you give up your dream of uh, becoming a professional athlete? My dream of becoming a professional athlete must have been in about first grade when I got picked last for the first time in dodgeball, and then all the way through junior high and high school, I was picked last. I was never an athlete. Now, I did think at one time that I was going to be the world's greatest musician. And I can tell you when I gave up on that dream was when I poured all my heart and soul into it and utterly failed. And it took that kind of experience of failing at being a musician, being a professional musician, before I realized, well, that ain't going to work. I got to do something else. And that's what I ended up doing. But when we're talking about Nick being a uh, baseball person, that's okay. Doing college what you feel like you need to do, and then when you get out, you can stop and look around and say, okay, this is how the world is going to be from now on, so this is what I'm going to do. You'll have guidance, and you'll, you'll be where you should be. That's a, and you know, sometimes, people... sometimes you'll have guidance, and sometimes it'll just kind of fall in your lap. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it happened with me. I, I just sort of stumbled into the career that I've got now. Which is a kind of guidance that you don't... Uh, it is a kind of guidance. Explicit. You're, you're getting guidance from somewhere. You're getting it from somewhere. I love it. Joe, what leadership advice would you want to impart on our audience today? Today, we are going to go to that great philosopher, Bill Watterson. Became very famous for drawing a young boy and his stuffed tiger. Bill Watterson one time said, you know, it's hard to be religious when certain people are never incinerated by bolts of lightning. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.